and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. Monday night, back in action. A bit more grumpier than normal, probably, but we are back. Uh, we will be all together in a little bit over here. We're waiting for Bigfoot to join us. I'm guessing uh, he has the boys, so I'm guessing he's making them drink like half a bottle of NyQuil each as we speak. So once the kids pass out, I think we'll have Bickler join us. I'm your host, as always, Timuchin here in Chicago. It was kind of flurries. Let me give the weather reports. It's getting freaking cold, getting on my nerves, but still not too bad for mid-December. But I mean, in some ways, you want snow for Christmas, though, right? Do you guys get, are you going to get snow for Christmas? I'm not sure. I don't, it doesn't look like we're going to have snow here in Western Mass from what I see in the uh, forecast this weekend, but we are going out to Western New York. So we'll be driving out to Rochester in that Buffalo area. So at any point it can get to like 40 degrees and then it drops to 32. And then like an hour later, Lake Champlain just drops like three inches of snow on you and that lake effect stuff. Um, so I have a good feeling we're going to have some uh, some snow for Christmas. So we'll see. I'm sure I'll complain about it no matter what happens. But we had uh, torrential downpours, including um, like massive flooding where I live in the last two days. So it has not been a fun weather pattern on Monday. While we're struggling over here, you know, I wasn't going to throw Sir Z under the bus. He says 70 degrees in Cal, you freaking spoiled bastard. But I wasn't going to throw him under the bus for saying good morning, gents, earlier. But now I am going to throw him under the bus after rubbing the weather in. And Alan, as always, actually, that's pretty low there, Alan. Must be like freezing. You guys must be freezing out in Texas. And sounds like the NyQuil has kicked in and the kids have passed out. Bickler yeah, is with I can't Bickler, hear anybody. I don't know if you can hear me. Give me a second. Can hear you. Your sound. We can great. hear you. Yes. <laughs> the best part is the best part is he can't hear us laugh. <laughs> yeah. The, right while you say something, it will be bad. Uh, I guess I didn't say. Okay. So let's get. Uh, I guess we're gonna have to wait for him for trivia because I did have a really a doozy of a trivia set up for tonight too. So. And here I was thinking he was just avoiding trivia. Like he was going to join 30 seconds after trivia and be like, kids just got in. It was a little late. We had a little traffic here in Richmond. <laughs> yeah. I don't fall for that crap. Uh, I wait till Bickler shows up. Uh, okay. So obviously we're going to talk a lot about the game yesterday. First off, uh, what is your take overall? What do you take away from the game? I know you were out and about, so you were not on the post-match. Uh, I mean, how disappointing was that? Yeah, it's an enormous disappointment for me. Um, I waited all week to throttle them. I didn't think we were going to win 4-5-0. I wasn't one of those people calling for a crazy result. I thought we would win the match, and I thought we would take it seriously, especially with City dropping points. Um, so I was really disappointed in... The result, I was disappointed in the way the manager set the team up. I was disappointed in the way the players responded. Um, I was disappointed in some of their actions post-match and some of the things they said and the way they whined. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a bad look day for the, the men of Liverpool Football Club because the women went out and played yeah. out and gave a great result in the morning, and the guys couldn't live up to it. And, uh, you know, a draw that feels like a loss, to be totally honest with you. I think, yeah, it was one of those, and this is why you do not go into games uh, 
arguing over how many we're going to score, especially when it's like a big game like this, because uh, you never really know. As Sorzi says, yesterday showed exactly why we're missing Jota. Uh, I want to get to the lineup and stuff like that, but let's bring on Victor, who can now hear us, and we can hear him with all his glory and positivity. What is happening, Victor? So I apologize. Let me run you down the last 10 minutes. Fire up the Chromebook 15 minutes before the pod. It crashes twice. In the meantime, I've spent all the, like, so thoughts and prayers to all the working parents that have kids home for the holidays, because I've worked all day with kids in the house, three of them, all three of which want out. I have to make it till Friday. I have seven business days to get two clients live on software. Um, so today in general has been a shit show. So the Chromebook crashes twice. I go to, I go into the other room and shut the door. The door falls off its hinges. <laughs> This is as I'm trying to get on with you guys. The door literally falls off its hinges. Like, so this door is propped up by the body of one of my children in the next room. Hopefully they're all right. Um, but like, yeah, I get on here and then I got my work computer. And of course, it's not hooked up to my normal headphones. So happy to be here. I apologize for the technical difficulties. I, uh, as usual, am just barely alive, but especially so tonight. Yeah, I, that's, that is a huge, you know, like uh, Layla's home uh, from college and Jasmine's going to be coming next week, but obviously it's a whole different ball game when uh, they're pretty much adults at this point. So hang in there, buddy. But then you'll miss these days. Trust me. I'm telling you, you will miss. Dude, these it's days. been, I don't know how anybody gets things done when there's like, I've disrupted maybe 15 fights and then intermittent, like urgent snack requests, like in between, it's like. What are the urgent snack requests, by the way? What kind of snacks, like, like you have to, like, chop up cucumbers? Like, what are they requesting? Or you just have to grab a bag of Doritos? So, like, that's the thing. Food. It's not even, like, it's just to let me know that they're really hungry. And it's like, <laughs> all right, well, all right, well, you've got four bags of chips open. So, like, why don't you pick one of those? And they're like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like. Dude, a camera uh, in the Bickler household would make the best reality show like ever. Uh, we gotta oh get that. God. We gotta make that happen. So, but hey, I got the cure for you. Something that's gonna relax you, make you feel a lot better, and get you is in it weed? The holiday spirits. It it's, rhymes with it. Oh, it's it's trivia. Okay, <laughs> it's the next best thing. Okay, trivia time it is. Uh, let's go with, obviously, we're going to play West Ham. I'm sure you guys have been cramming all week about West Ham trivia questions. I actually came across this, uh, and it's pretty interesting. So, obviously, there are players who have played for both teams. I'm going to make it that easier. I've been making the questions way too easy. So, this is going to be a little bit more tricky. Uh, I figured you guys don't get the easy ones. Might as well make the questions difficult and get some fun out of this. Okay. So the last three players who played for Liverpool who had also played for West Ham. So I'm going to make this easier. So they might have played before or after their Liverpool careers, but they played for both clubs. I'm going to make it a tad easier and give you guys years. One of them is actually a current squad player. And then one of them played for us. From 2009 to yeah, 2009 to 2015, and the other one played for us from 2013 to 2014. Three players. These are the most recent players who played for Liverpool, who also played for West Ham. You know, BJ would be proud with this trivia question. I'm telling you, uh, this is all me. I'll take credit for it. Bickler. 
Let's start with the easy one, the current squad. Should we, ju should we just name one at a time and we'll do this together? Because yeah. yeah. there's you probably know no you chance. Know, I don't think you guys can do it together either, but let's do it. I'll tell you what's particularly sad about this. The saddest part is like, I bet you he's going to ask a player that played for both teams. I thought this today, and I thought I should be proactive and look it up. Guess what didn't happen? None of that because I was putting doors back on hinges and things like that. <laughs> so, like, I if you ask a question, and I still even a current squad member, and I'm still scrambling to find it just because I'm so out of sorts. I told uh, you, BJ will be proud of my question. See, digging oh in deep, baby. Sergi has a couple of guesses, so let's go. Let's start with the current I, one. Current one, as in like currently on one of the two sides. Currently in our squad. And played for West Ham. Yes. Adrian. Sergi threw that under there. Sergi no, I didn't see that. No, I I'm actually guessed it. <laughs> I mean, obviously, when a guy is like 45 years old, it's a pretty good oh, chance that he hit by West Ham at one point. <laughs> the, the the big oaf, the, the striker, deadline day, Newcastle, terrible bye. Andy Carroll, there's two. That's a negative. Bickler, back to you. This is going to be like... Andy Carroll played for West End. Yes, but this is not the most recent ones. We're looking for the last two recent ones. You said the most recent three. Someone in Andy Carroll... Carroll is not one of them. How could he not have played for West End more recently than a guy from 09? Let me think of this. 09 to 2015, man. You're worse than Bickler today. And you got all your doors on the hinges. So you have no excuse. <laughs> Bickler, give me a guess. I don't know. I, I keep wanting to say Nathaniel Klein because I haven't seen him forever and feel like he went that way, but he didn't. He went to like Pat yep. still at Palace. Um, a full because Carol played it is for a, us I feel like eleven it's a, to thirteen. There's actually a couple of like Joe Cole is another one, 2010 to 2013. Downing, 2011 to 2013. Well, yeah, Downing was. I feel like it, I feel like as a fullback, was Glenn Johnson go to West Ham? But it's Glenn he, Johnson is correct. Oh, I couldn't Johnson. remember if he's for some reason I felt like he was before Andy Carroll though. Anyway, uh, well, he was here like for six years. He was uh, he played for us 2009 yeah. to 2015, but he wasn't way back in the day. He played for West Ham as well before he went to Chelsea. Yeah, one more. Come on, people, we're almost there. This is a tricky one, though. I don't think anybody's going to get this. And he played for us when? You said the years before. He played 13, for us 14? 2013 to 2014. Hmm. Is it, um, oh, is that a lone year? Is it, um, wasn't Moses, was it? And now you. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not. He was at Chelsea, but I know he got loaned out a few places. But that's why I figured he played everywhere in the yeah. league. That is correct. It is Victor Moses, oh, the guy who's traveled nice. all over the freaking place. There we go. A group project done well at the end. Uh, Konchesky is another <laughs> one actually, but he was 2010, 2011 with us. Um, like I say, 2013. There's a bunch of dudes there, but these. That's why I went with the most recent three to make life a bit easier. Okay. See, don't we all feel better now? Doors on or off hinges, either way, everybody's in a good mood. So, Bickler, let's put you in a bad mood. Let's talk about the game a little bit. So, 
I know actually, like on Discord, you were saying after the game that you thought, you know, tactically we were lined up well. Do you think we kind of guessed that Ten Hag would not pull a Mourinho and stick to his principles as opposed to sticking to his job and kind of like putting up a lineup that has the chance to survive, the only chance to survive? I mean, possibly. I, th- I think that that like, I think regardless of how Ten Hag sets up, that the tactics that we had out, I think we're good enough to beat that side, right? I think, um, but I do think that was surprising because, I mean, typically Ten Hag has gone out and opened up and played, you know, pretty open against us. But I think when you look at the fact that they they had to start Johnny Evans back there and there's no Bruno, like I think those are kind of like the situations that probably called for that on his part, right? And so I think they did a really good job of getting them to buy into basically low block defending and being a counterattacking team, which they sort of are anyway. Um, you know, I got a whole lot more nervous when Rashford comes in just because he has that over the top pace that'll really skin you, uh, especially if you're as wide open as we were at the back. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I give United a lot of credit for coming in in, in a position, you know, where they could have just got run off the pitch and, and they they played tough. They, they, you know, they basically hunkered in and played really solid counterattacking football. And, but like, let's be honest, we helped them out a lot. And that's the probably the problem. We did help him out a lot, but did that lineup help him out a lot a bit, uh, Galley? Because when we talked in the pre-match, we kind of were like, "Hey, you know, we didn't think Ten Hag would sit back that far, even though the lineup obviously was a lot defensive." But we kind of figured. I mean, he did still try to build from the back and all that kind of stuff that they normally do, but he played a lot more. Def- did he play a lot more defensive than you expected? Let's go that way. Yeah, I, I, I think he didn't have a choice, though. I mean, to Paul's point, he didn't have Bruno Fernandez. He didn't have a creator in midfield. He didn't want to play Rashford. I mean, you know, he didn't want to start him. I know they made up this BS illness thing. Rashford's been benched for two weeks in a row, and he's working his way out of it. Like, And he, I, I think they came completely content with a draw or a smash-and-grab win. Like, they thought they'd pop up in a second half and – Varon would get a header on a corner or something, and they'd randomly pick up a win. In my opinion, <coughs> and it didn't work out for them. I, I mean, they didn't, they didn't do anything for 80 minutes. But I hate when people whine about it. I just think that um, we didn't help ourselves with the way we set ourselves up, and the midfield just couldn't compete with a really poor midfield at United, which is scary. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you look at the numbers. I mean, really, it felt like, you know, it was no different than like a Luton Town or Sheffield coming to Anfield and like playing defense. I almost feel like those teams would try to get more out of the set pieces or earn some set pieces because they would have some guys up top looking to earn those set pieces. They, you know, it was not even trying that, it felt like. I mean, you look at like the numbers. I mean, it's like, what is it, like eight, six shots, only one on target uh, toward 34 and eight. So we dominate the position. And I thought, when we talk about midfield, I know Sir Z was, uh, Brian was saying earlier that the midfield didn't perform. I thought Bickler and Do did really well. But this trio of Gravenberg and Savoslai on the pitch at the same time, two guys who really want the ball to do stuff with the ball, it's just not working because the ball doesn't move against a team that's sitting on a low block. Yeah, I think the craziest thing I read was like, you know, on some forum last night, like somebody saying that we got the lineup wrong. We shouldn't have started Endo. We should have had Harvey out there. And I'm like, first of all, like to me, those two things are unrelated. And second <laughs> of all, like 
Second of all, like the problem with that lineup to me, and we've talked like Galley has beat this drum for a while now, is that Sobo Slide and Gravenberch essentially play the same way. Um, and what that does is that 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 leaves huge uh, half spaces in the midfield and it isolates Endo on an island. And, and on, on top of the issues that that creates for, for uh, Trent as well. Um, I just think, yeah, I thought Endo was actually quietly really, really good. You know, I thought there was some, I thought there was some interesting performances. I thought quietly, I thought Costas had a pretty good game. I, I thought Samikas is pretty good throughout. Like I thought he was he, solid throughout. Um, but yeah, that midfield, uh, it's just, if I look at that, like I thought, like I said, we had it tactically right, but I just do, I'm never starting that midfield in this game. In fact, I'm probably never starting that midfield period, but like, I just think, I, I, I don't understand. We've talked about it at some point um, to that form I was reading the other night. I agree with them. I think at some point Harvey's got to get a look. Like, I mean, um, I, it, it, and interestingly enough, this all started to really sort of deteriorate in the midfield the moment that we stopped playing Jones. So I think there's something to be said about that too. So yeah, around the board, uh, I, I just think when we look at this side, everyone's going to talk about Nunez. Everybody's going to talk about, oh, the fans are starting to turn on Nunez, like blah, blah, blah. You know, this may be the beginning of the end for his leash or whatever. At the end of the day, like, how are we not talking about what's happening with Soboslai? How are we not talking about that? Like that dude has gotten a free pass for the last month and a half and get it. I get it. He came out guns blazing and looked like a world beater. But the fact of the matter is that dude needs a sit. There is nothing that justifies him starting over Jones or Elliot at this point. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking about it for two, three podcasts now, right? Like about his form and he's not the same guy and stuff like that. And I thought this was by far the worst. Cause I think in the past, it just kind of like you didn't even notice that he was poor. He was just invisible. So it wasn't like poor. Uh, it was just like invisible, non-effective kind of a deal. This game, it felt like it was poor. So like, so it was very visibly poor. But I mean, going back to Endo, I thought, you know, his biggest weakness, obviously, is getting caught on the ball. So maybe Galley, he was a bit more cautious uh, of that. There were times where you kind of want your defensive midfield to maybe be able to turn with the ball because uh, he had the space. He was still playing it safe and dropping it and stuff like that. But the biggest issue comes back to when you have Gravenberg and Soboslai on the pitch at the same time, there's nobody like, and I know there's a lot of hate going to start the moment I mention his name, but somebody like when Henderson was there or when Jones is on the pitch. And even you can tell when Harvey is on the pitch, where that ball moves and moves a lot faster, whereas with Soboslai and Gravenberg, it's more like they take the ball and see what they're going to do. And a few times that Soboslai tried to move the ball, those passes were all like too hard, too soft. It just didn't work. Anybody who's listened to this podcast for a couple of years knows that we all hang on a few different like soapbox items and we bang on them, right? And we bang on how it takes guys so long to bet into this system and Klopp doesn't play guys for two or three months. And I think we're starting to see like why that's probably the right maneuver. Because no, because we got enamored with these new shiny new objects, right? And here we are in November, December, getting to the critical mass like time where we need to like performances aren't here. We need to grind out results. And we're calling for Harvey Elliott and Curtis Jones to get starts because they know, because they've been practicing and training in this in this squad with these tactics for years. They know where the ball is supposed to go. To your point, Timuchin, they know where they're supposed to be 
if X, Y, or Z or A, B, or C happen. And I think I think that's what we're starting to see is that Sovislai, for all of his great performances, and I challenge people to go back and watch August and early September and find me an actual like A plus great performance. You see pockets of moments where he's really, really, really good. I don't know that he's actually given us like a world beater 90 yet, but we've made it out like he has because we were dying for this and we wanted it to be good. And Klopp was playing him. And I think that's why Paul was calling for McAllister to be pushed forward and to get starts on that side to see if it'll look better. I think Gravenberch has to figure out where he, uh, Gravenberch and Soberside both need to figure out where they fit in this 11. And I think an extended run for Jones getting back on the side. And someone said to me the other day, we're getting results, but we aren't putting in performances. And then they were like, do you know when the last good performance we had was? It, it kind of dates back to when Jones got hurt and stopped starting. Because I think we underestimated how much stability he brought to the midfield. Because he doesn't lose position in bad spots. And he always makes the right pass and makes the right decision. And I think lightning is going to strike me dead because I'm saying these things about Curtis Jones. And I never thought this would be there. But I think he's the most important player when it comes to our midfield right now. Yeah, I mean, because he goes back to a little bit more of the old, more boring, but more productive and efficient midfield, Declare. I mean, that's what we were getting before. One thing I noticed, and I, I don't know, like, is it tactical? Is it players trying too hard? But a lot of the time, we watched this team for a long time. We watched the Klopp team for a long time, right? So there are times where a ball goes somewhere, and you kind of know what the – it's like muscle memory from watching this team – where the next move should be, where the ball should go. And there were multiple times, I thought, where you were like, now it goes wide, is what I thought to myself. And it never, ever did. Whereas, you know, you have a low block team that you want to kind of stretch. Maybe if they're stretched, Gravenberg and Soboslai will find more room. I just kept seeing Gravenberg or Soboslai or Trent trying to force the ball to the middle to a team that's really sitting compact and they did defend well, but almost like we made life easier because we never wanted to go up wide. Is that tactical? Is that people over trying? Uh, <clears throat> I mean, it's probably a little bit of a lot of things. I thought the worst defender of all everybody doing that was Diaz, to be quite honest. Like, and I don't know if like <clears throat> he just hasn't regained it post injury, but like he used to take people wide and just beat them right and then go to the go to the byline and hit it hit it across the face of goal and like i feel like every single time that dude's on the ball it's going in the middle from a wide position and i think part of this is is like when we talk about like that like knowing where the other guy is going to be i think like when you look at this this is a side with over half of the starting 11 being brand new so like i think there's part of that i also think nunez doesn't help because he doesn't have a like he doesn't play to a system. He just kind of like free roams like a wild Mustang on the Outer Banks of North Carolina when you're visiting Commission. Like he's just like all over the place. And I, I think it makes it. <laughs> yeah. God, I would pay good money to see that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Angie would too. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it, I think it makes it, I think because of his like unpredictability in terms of the way he makes runs. Uh, aside from Mo seeming to have it figured out, I think everybody else kind of like, I see him taking up other people's space a lot. You know what I mean? And you have that kind of look like, 
all right, shit, I got to move out of this spot. Like Nina's is here. Where do I go? Right. Like, I mean, so I guess I'll just go over here. Like, like, I think I, I see some of that. Um, but I mean, when I looked at, like, when I looked at that overall performance, I really just saw a team that looked legged and tired too. Like I saw a lot of people that were making like sloppy mistakes or just, just a lack of being clinical, right? Like missing easy passes, like putting the ball just on frame when they had a chance to do it. Sometimes overpassing, like it was just a combination of everything. Sometimes overpassing, sometimes not taking the shot when it was available. And then sometimes like not hitting the obvious pass. Like it was just a combination of all these things combined into one. And I think some of that stuff starts to be mental. Like when you're hitting 15, 20 shots on a team and you're like around halftime and like, it's still nil, you start to get frustrated, you know, like you start, you start to push. And I thought we had chance. I thought we had opportunities to be patient and have this breakdown. And we started to overcommit a little bit, which caused issues for us. I want to get back to the like Sir Z's comment about the front three because I think we'll definitely go back to the Nunez conversation. But before we get to that, I want to ask you this, Gally. I mean, we were talking about like taking these shots, and we were talking about it on the morning show as well. How the crowd could never really get into the game a lot uh, with the new capacity and all that kind of stuff. I almost feel like in the past where we maybe we complain about not taking enough shots, right? Why doesn't somebody take a shot? We, you know opportunity for ox to come in and crank a couple and that was probably the only guy right and have we gone to the complete opposite now where we're almost like taking too many shots where you kind of pause the game and pause the attack so you can't have that consistent pressure whereas if you're going wide i mean at one point where the game became like a basketball game it was like at each end and when we were putting the ball in the box when you're crossing it they're barely clearing it so you're coming again in waves so when you're taking those shots, you can never come in waves because if the shot is off wide, Onana takes 45 seconds to take a goal kick. Do we kind of fall in love with scoring a couple of worldies and now everybody wants to get on the highlight reel? Well, I definitely think we did. And I mean, I, I think this comes back to your point about Diaz. You talked about Diaz and and I completely agree. Nunez is, other than Mo, no one has figured that out. We'll talk enough about Nunez later. But to save bashing him for a moment, I'd argue Diaz doesn't need to care where Nunez is because you're going to have to chart out the last time Diaz in the final third connected on a pass to any teammate on Liverpool. Because all the guy does is either dribble into people, lose possession. He makes, you know, awkward passes to Simicast and basically leaves him out to dry when he finally does try to overlap and send him out wide. Or he takes ill-advised shots that go out, like he passes the ball to the corner flag. I, I can't tell you the last time he put in a performance that made me actually think to myself, like, this is that guy we were all so excited about. And I understand the injury, but it has been a year since then. So, like, now we might be at reality that this is the player that he is for a while until he gets back to that point. Or we got a little bit of lightning in a bottle early. But I think right now he's making zero impact on the outside. And I think that does hurt Darwin. And I think that hurts Mo at the same time. And I think that people aren't even, it didn't even seem like they were worried about Diaz all match because he really had no, he had no contribution in my opinion. Like the first half, he seemed like he was just kind of out to dry. And then in the second half, he, he just kind of faded as the match went on. I just, I think we do, I, someone posted it earlier in the comments. I think you realize how much you miss Jota. Yeah. when you can't score ugly goals and he offers such a difference because he can play across the whole front line and give you different options 
And I think that our front three really, really lacks that continuity when Jota's not there. And he just offers he, – he allows you to change things from the bench by not starting Diaz and Nunez, you know, every single match. And I think they're going to have to figure it out pretty soon how they're going to make this work because we got three more matches with Mo here, and then we're really scrambling for goals up front. And I don't know, though. I mean, to me, as I start this Nunez bashing session, because I have a lot to bash about uh, when it comes to Nunez, is that mainly because I feel like Diaz goes back to what you're saying, Bickler, where he doesn't have the same overlap you did with Robertson, right? Like, you don't have somebody going full speed like a maniac to the end line to either be an option or take somebody with him so that you can kind of cut in. And I feel like when he cuts in now, because Nunez is two to the left sometimes, well, there's somebody already with Nunez. There's a guy guarding Diaz. There's a guy who would normally cover Costas or Robertson, whoever is making that line. So he constantly keeps diving into three guys. And you see him like getting, like going sideways, and he just takes that ball all the way to the right being to Mo at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said about that space being congested and him not having that run anymore. But, like, how many, like, weeks has he had to figure that out now? Like, go wide, right? <laughs> or, like, you know what I mean? Or tell Nunez to get the hell out of there when you have the ball. I don't know. Like, you got you got a couple of options there. But for me, like, I just know he's going to be posted up in that space. So I'm trying to beat him wide and send in Nunez near post. You know what I mean? Like, I just think there's other options. It's become so predictable with him on the ball. And, like, we talked about this last week, and it was noticeable in this game. Like, when he gets the ball wide and he breaks, like, I just feel like he does almost kill that attack. Like, there's only – there's, like – it's, like, two or three touches too many before he makes his choice on what he wants to do, and then the attack's done. It's killed. He's given, like, slow-ass Johnny Evans somehow a lifeline to be back into it. Like, and that's, and that's the sad part because I think – just like when you're clinical, right? Like when, when you're lacking that clinical ability to sort of finish, like you have to be sharp mentally and we weren't either. No. And I think, yeah, it's probably the best strategy for him to is to go wide and try to take people to the line. But I think that becomes because now Costas is not going to make the inside run either. And I think that's like, they're not connecting on that side. And obviously Nunez is helping. Uh, let's go back to Nunez. I mean, I think, you know, we talked about him before. We talked about him a lot, right? And we were like, hey, you know, he can, he knows how to finish. He knows how to, you know, take the shots, blah, blah, blah. He's unlucky or the post or whatever. I did the thing, and I'm okay with his misses and everything, Gally. But the thing that really, really pisses me off, and I was just watching an interview where uh, Ben Foster is actually talking to Klopp, and one of the things they talk about is Nunez. And he says the biggest difference in Nunez this year to last year is, He's a lot more settled, uh, so he's, you know, a lot more under control. He's not panicking and stuff like that. I look at Nunez, and I still see a very immature dude for his age. And let's not give it the he's young crap because he's not that freaking young. There are a lot more younger players than him that are a lot more mature. The yellow card he sees, and honestly, if United got that red card, I can see why United fans are complaining, and as I thought that was kind of like a bullshit red card. But if that was a red, Nunez should have been sent off in the first half after he was clapping for seeing the yellow afterwards. I see like a very immature guy that is, and that tells me his head is not in the game, so he is not more settled. I, I do agree with this. I, I always have a hard time with the whole 
getting inside the mentality of professional athletes, no matter what sport they're in. Like I, I used to have this argument about Terrell Owens and I used to be like, you know, the media wants people to stop being brash and defiant, except for it was being brash and defiant that got them to be the 1% to get out and get to being like the elite level athlete. Like every, you have to have a little bit of that in you. And if that's who you are, then that's who you're going to be. And there, there's always going to be those players. There's, the Messies who do it quiet and serene. And then there's the Neymars who throw it in your face and are flamboyant. I'm not saying you got to like both guys. I just think that I think Nunez is a little bit of that chaos and, and he is immature. And I think he's a little bit of a Suarez as hothead. And I think you get that as part of what makes him who he is. I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just saying that I think that's who he is. Does he need to learn that he was this close to maybe seeing a second yellow for descent or the headbutt against crystal palace last year is not the way you respond to a center back. I'm with you commuting hundred percent. I just, you know, Paul said it earlier. We spend a lot of block on this show and in other forums, all banging on Nunez. And it feels like about 40 to 50% of everybody else who misses or has bad days seem to skate by. Now, he does it to himself by having bad moments like the yellow card on 26 minutes in the first half against United, where you can't afford a yellow card that you don't need because someone's going to wind your ass up. And that's where Klopp's saying the right things. And I think he is better than last year, but he is a long goddamn, just like he's a long way from the Finnish article as a striker in the Premier League, he's a long way from the mature guy that Klopp wants to paint him to be. But I think right now Klopp has to play him because he believes he gives them the best chance to win, whether he likes it or not. See, I'm okay with, you know, you're going to have people, players like that, who are maybe over-aggressive Bickler. And, you know, Suarez probably is a good example. But, you know, when you have that player, usually they take someone down with them, right? I mean, they also get under the skin of the opposition. And mainly because probably they're actually performing aside from being cocky and being a jerk on the pitch. When you're not performing, you're more frustrated, and you're trying to do that. You're only hurting yourself, and I feel like he's become an easy target to say, that's the guy we can get under the skin of. And as a defender, that's exactly what you want, That like a guy who is attacking, who you can really piss off, and you know just by saying shit, doing shit, kicking him late, whatever – and get under his skin as he gets more and more frustrated. And it's not a guy that turns frustration into performance. I feel like it gets only worse. Like, as he gets frustrated, the performance gets worse because he kind of loses it. He loses focus. He loses what he should be. So he's pressing aimlessly or, press, you know, like fouling aimlessly. It just gets him out of his game. I honestly don't have a good enough read on him from a performance perspective to see whether that's related to him getting wound up or not. I, I really don't, but I do see the Suarez connection and I like that. Um, and, and I think you both make good points, right? Like he doesn't have the magic moment that Suarez has in him. And, and Suarez was like the leader, right? He was a focal point for that team. Like he drugged that team through matches and just by the scruff of his neck to get three points. And so I think you, you, when you don't have that, like you don't get that license to be that sort of lunatic who will do ever, anything to win, right? You just are seen as a liability. Whereas Suarez was like, I mean, I think for all intents and purposes, Suarez was a liability. 
but he also was a match winner, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's where that's where this becomes a problem for him. You know, I, I there are a lot of things that don't go well in his favor. The price tag, the 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 move to this club, the move coming from like hit the way that he came up um, and then came into the English league. That's a rough and tumble journey for somebody who does not have a lot of experience um, just in general. Like, I mean, outside of the the couple of years he had um, there in Portugal, he didn't have much uh, experience at this in, with big boy football whatsoever. So in a lot of years, like, I think he is, I think his development has been retarded a little bit. And like, I think, so he's got a, a bigger curve, um, you know, than we've always said Gakpo does at, at, at the same age. Um, I, I, I do think that there's, I think there's a phenomenal player there and I think it's going to take patience. Uh, I just don't, I wish I understood why we bought him because like as big as that ceiling is, he just doesn't strike me as somebody that fits the system whatsoever. And we know this manager isn't going to change the system to fit him. So uh, I I just have serious questions about what this long play looks like um, for, for him. And I, you know, I, I want more than anything. I, I think there was like a two or three week span here where starting him made sense to me in like, cause I was always very resistant to him starting. I know that we're kind of split down the middle here in the, the AS crew. There's a lot of us that, that want to see him. And there's like, there's, there's John, right. That wants to see him start. And there's Kazi who wants to never see him again. And there's everybody in the middle. Right. And I think that's like kind of where we got to divide off. Like I was very firmly in the, in, in the camp where like, I didn't want to see him starting. Gakpo made too much sense to me. I had a two or three week window where I was kind of off that because I thought he was in such good form. It made sense to continue to start him with Mo. I'm back. I'm back firmly on the side where I think it's Gakpo for me, just because he makes so much sense from a system standpoint. And because for me, if you're going to get any value off of Nunez, I think that you take a lot off his plate and you put a lot more in into you put him in a better spot to succeed with him coming off the bench to win a game in 15 minutes left or to put a game to bed. If you've got like, if you've got some stability in that midfield and you want to pull him up to, to sort of cause some disruption and chaos in the last 15 minutes. I don't think I've ever liked him starting. Um, I just, uh, for a long time, I didn't know that he had 90 minutes in him. Um, and I just think for, for, we, for all the players that we see come into this system and sort of bed in or make players around them play well within the system, to me the problem is is that he just sort of disrupts what we do from a system standpoint. And I have and and I don't like I don't want to be really super critical of him because I don't think it's entirely fair to him. I think partially that's on the manager. I don't know. I put a lot of, I mean, like we didn't even talk about where he kind of stopped playing and raised his hand to get a penalty instead of chasing the ball down. That didn't even get to that immaturity, which I still don't get in day and age where there's everything's going to be watched. People start freaking raising your hands and keep playing. But uh, Shelton says Gakpo was flat when he came on yesterday. And it felt like a player, uh, Serzi was saying the same thing. Like he was almost trying too hard, cracking those shots, trying to make an impact galley. And I guess this is where I've been all along, right? I, despite the performance and the goals, we were like, hey, maybe Nunez got his you know, confidence back, so he should start and stuff like that. But if you have a player who's a lot better starting and it fit, fits the system, what, and then you have another player who is really good coming off the bench and makes an impact every time he comes off the bench, why not stick with that formula and kind of like flip it over his head? Well, I think Klopp, 
honestly doesn't believe that Darwin Nunez is worse from the start than Cody Gakbo. And I think this is where you guys, like you guys say Gakbo's been good. He hasn't been good. He wasn't, he was flat. He was terrible. He took poor shots. He turned the ball over. But I'm, I'm not times. talking what is sub. Well, I, I know I just mentioned I, I, him coming as a sub, but you have a guy who's better when he starts as a starter, and you have a guy who's better, obviously, coming off the bench. Better, he was better last season. Last season when he got here, just like Diaz was in his first season, he has not been good this season. Not at all. He really hasn't. He's played good football at times. It's been in spots. Paul's right. Darwin won the job at the end of August. They were both neck and neck at the beginning of the season. And at some point, Klopp decided that Darwin was his number one, number nine, and Gakpo had to win the job back. And I actually don't think he has been able to do it since that point. I'm not saying that Darwin is doing great shakes to put himself in the shop window and that he deserves to be the top guy. But I think Gakpo has been both indecisive He's picked the wrong pass, which is what we always credit him for doing so well. At times, he's dropped too far deep to get as part of the play. And he's not Bobby Firmino. As much as he had glimpses of it last year at times, I think that it doesn't work, and it's not going to work if you continue to play guys like Sobislai and Gravenberg going too far forward as attacking mids. And I think that's where Gakpo... I honestly think Klopp is starting to see Gakpo more as like an off-the-striker midfielder. And I think as time goes on, Paul's been saying we won't change the formation. Klopp's going to have to change the formation because he keeps – or get with the guy buying the players because they keep buying players for a different formation than 4-3-3. And if we want to get the best out of them, I think we have to do that. And, you know, we can talk about Nunez misses. No miss was as bad as the wide open header on the six six yards away than Gakpo missed off the corner. And twice he took some hero shots. I know guys were saying it. I do think yeah, he's Kanates was pretty bad. Kanates was pretty bad too. You're right. <laughs> and and to be honest, let's be real here. The guy who's in form and the guy who wants to like do this in front of the crowd, you can't miss that ball that Trent misses and drags left of the post. He has a Nana flat-footed, and it's a, literally a pass into the corner. Like, if you want to be a midfielder coming up there, you got to score that goal against United in the second half. There were so many opportunities for them to win this game. I just think that when it comes down to the Darwin Nunez, Cody Gakbo thing, we should be trying to figure out how those two can figure out how to play together. Because I think over the next three seasons, if Nunez makes it here, those two have to be the two who are the are the guys who score the goals because we only are going to have the right wing for so long like that that shelf life is probably coming to an end in the next couple of years these guys have to score the goals and prove that they can play together we got to figure out a way to do it Mike. i think that's where like not having jota kind of hurts because now if you have both of them on the pitch at the same time if all four of them are on there somehow or whatever now who are you going to bring off the bench to change the game and jota would Good be point. the one to Man, I mean, let's face it, man. If Jota was there yesterday, you know, he pops in the box somewhere and then just like scores like a weird ass goal or takes somebody on suddenly, just gets somehow it, gets in the box somehow it, and like scores. Well, his five foot, six foot, nothing frame would have popped up there and banged that yeah. header on that corner yeah. right into the fucking post. It would have went in. 
And I think, you know, like I say, with like Nunez and stuff, I really don't care about the misses. I mean, miss everybody misses. I think like that kind of gets overblown probably because of the price tag and stuff like that you were saying, Bickler. I just feel like in terms of play, this is similar to when people sometimes say, oh, like Mo didn't do anything. There are certain players that even if they're not doing a whole lot, they enable others to do so and they create space with their movements and the passing and stuff like that. I just feel like... Gakpo does a lot more of that as opposed to Nunez. You can bring on Nunez to run at people. That's why I would rather have him come in afterwards, I guess, because if you have a lead and then there's space behind, that's the last thing you want to see is probably Nunez taking advantage mm -hmm. of that space. But when somebody's in a low block, there's really not like more than like five feet behind freaking Evans. There's nowhere to run to. So that takes away the speed. And obviously his movement is not really the best aside from like constantly going over there and hugging Diaz. It just creates a problem. I think here's my thing. I think Gallo's right. I think we're probably going to have to play figure out a way to play both, but here's, here's where I kind of firmly sit with Gakpo. Like <clears throat> has he, has his bright moments come in the midfield for sure. But I think when we get back to like the critical mass of the situation, it is somehow Liverpool got away from playing Liverpool football. The Liverpool football that won them a title. The Liverpool football that ran through the Champions League. And did we lose a lot of parts? Yes. Henderson, Fabinho, you know, Firmino, Wijnaldum, all that stuff factors in. All You know, Mane, all of it factors in. But at the end of the day, this team still plays its best football. When it goes back to that identity where it creates a frontline press, it wins from wide positions in the final third, and it puts the ball into the box. That's when this team plays its best. And I think for it to get back to that requires Gakpo because I think what that allows you to do is to play him in a position where he is a fourth midfielder because he drops deep enough and can play that thing, spring those counters back into wide areas, and do those things that Bobby did. I know he's not Bobby. I think he still can do those things in the system. That's why that's I, I guess my my idea of having Gakpo is is my pipe dream that my pipe dream that we return to that football. Now, where the crux of the matter is and where this gets tricky is that this team may not play that way and may not be able to play that way once this team starts to lose pieces like Mo Salah. Yeah. So like this goes back to like and it's the same argument that we had with like we should get the best out of Trent, play him the way that we built the system around, which was Push your fullbacks forward, play them wide, right. win in the final third, and play from final third. Right. So, like that's what I want to see us return to. But I think what I think what we're figuring out, and I think what Klopp is trying to figure out is whether this next iteration of this Liverpool team can play that way, or if it's better playing through the middle, or if it's better playing in a different way. But that's going to require some formation tweaks and some formation changes. I don't know whether he's comfortable. I don't know if he'll do that. And I and I really think like that's the big decision is. Can this team, is this team capable, and should this team go back to the to the original system? I think, I personally feel very strongly it should. I don't believe we'll see that. I think Klopp is too invested in finding another way, evolving this. Uh, and I think that's, I think, you know, we keep talking about consistency and wanting this team to really, like, find its feet. With over half the starting 11 being brand new, these players are clearly trying to figure it out with a manager that's trying to figure it out. So I just think that there are so many between the manager and the players. I think there are so many pieces 
that are trying to settle right now. We are clearly in a transition year, but I think our expectations are not that of a transition year because we're just at the top of the table. And I think people don't understand how crazy lightning in a bottle stuff that is because of the rest of the stuff that's going on in the league and the fact that we just happen to be winning these matches late. I think that, you know, and that's the thing, right? He has some players that he's wanted, like Gravenberg, and I'm sure, you know, Saboslai in terms of like his work rate and running and stuff like that. It's just a matter of working in these new toys into your system. And I think, yeah, he's still figuring it out. It's going to be really interesting to see. And I think that will give give us a bigger glimpse once Moe's at the African Cup and see how we play then almost getting ready for like a post-Moe setup. And and I, I don't want to say it like sound callous or cold, but like all season long, this kind of felt and and I know I've talked about this. I thought he would he might go after this year with one year left on the contract, even before I knew about Saudi money. I thought it might be PSG somewhere else. I thought that contract smelt like they were preparing to get something back for him. Um, I definitely think if 150 to 200 million dollars comes in this summer or there's a chance to negotiate this second half of the season, it happens. Like, I believe that. I think Mo signs off on it. I think the club signs off on it, and it's a sad day. I also think in some ways it feels like Klopp is using this season as a way to bet in new tactics and formations for life after Mo. Because arguably, the player who is marginalized the most in this new formation is the best player at the club. The guy out wide who is being asked to be more of a winger and not be in as many scoring situations and not scoring as many goals or getting as many shots or things created for him. He's still having a great season, but it kind of feels to me like he's feeling out all these pieces and these formations and he's not doing what actually this setup was built around, which is your prolific right wing and your attack-minded right fullback. It's almost like he's preparing for life after Mo, but still having Mo here to help like secure points and secure Champions League for next year. Because I feel like it feels like the writing's already on the wall, and we could have a whole other show on this. Yeah, I, but I, I just feel like it feels like Mo me. already knows. Everybody knows this is happening. I think it goes back to what Bickler is saying, though. Maybe, yeah, he didn't even expect us to do this well and be where we're at. I think just because of where we're at, I don't see it happening like this winter but yeah it's very possible well, in the summer not this winter like oh. i'm saying in the summer that oh. was my point in the summer I, okay I so let him let's go get to the west ham game real quick uh bickler obviously then there's a huge game right afterwards what kind of a lineup do you want to see or like how much value do you put in this game and more importantly is that value changed mainly due to who's left in this competition. It just feels like it's there to be had. Like, would you say the same lineup if all the big boys were still in it? Yeah, I, I, that probably changed. I don't know, dude. Like, this manager's not one that really <laughs> thinks like that, right? Like, I do. Because I'm always, like, I'm always playing for the game after the next one, right? Like, I, I don't think he looks at it. I, I genuinely don't think he looks at it like that. Um um, I, I think I'd like to see a strong lineup though. I think we've got to get points with West Ham. We've got to figure out, we've got to stop. Like, I, I think we got to be in a position to continually put pressure on the top of the table if we're not there. So I think, 
I, I still think we got to go fairly strong. West Ham's got a good side. I mean, I know they've been up and down. But how bad do you want this cup? I, I mean, I'd rather I'd, I'd rather win the league than have the cup. <laughs> like, you know okay. what I mean? Like, I, I think this league is just as open as the cup is, you know? Like, that, that's the way I look at it. Like, I think the league is there. I, I'd probably go pretty strong. Um, I think you can still rotate and have some balance, but I, I would go pretty strong here. How about you, Gally? I mean, the fact that, you know, you get past this, we're like a few games away from getting some kind of a trophy to this newly built team. Does that change how you view Wednesday as opposed to saving the boys for the Premier League? Am I am I starting Allison in the match? No. Like, this is where I reward Kelleher for another start. I reward Kwanzaa for playing well and showing he can play against some adults. Um, maybe Joe Gomez gets a start even at center back if you don't want to play Kanate at this point, right? Because they're both going to have to be ready for Arsenal. I think you're going to have to play kids, in my opinion, at the fullback positions. But they, they attributed themselves pretty well in the European match where they were asked to play. I think the midfield makes it kind of easy. You can play Endo. You can play Harvey. Um, I wouldn't start Jones because he has to start against Arsenal for me. But, you know, I've been saying that for five weeks and he hasn't gotten to play. So, I don't know. Up front, I would actually start Darwin through the middle. And I would hope that West Ham starts some backup center backs and he could just feast on people. Because he could use some confidence. You think backup um, would, like West Ham would see this as like a because I West mean you know, we still, have a league to think about, whereas West Ham can be like, hey, this is our chance at a title. At a I, I, I mean, do I think West Ham will rotate a little bit? I think they have to because they do have a squad that has to get some minutes at certain games, um, and they are still in the Europa League just like us. They're also playing in the league and they're at least moving up the table and playing better. I, I mean, I think they have to rotate a little bit. It, I mean, it's the League okay. Cup. You usually see some rotation. I just, I think I would start Darwin. Who knows? If, I mean, if Klopp really wanted to be energetic, he'd go out there and he'd start a different formation and he'd start Darwin and Gakpo together and try something different in the Cup. But he probably won't. He'll probably start Mo, Nunez, and Diaz. <laughs> Bastard. <laughs> I'm assuming, I mean, yeah, what do you think for the front three? I mean, do you think we do, like, for example, play Elliot instead of Mo and stuff and, like, keep those guys on the bench almost treated like a Europa game, Bickler? Or because I almost feel like, like I say, normally I would say League Cup, you kind of keep going with the same squad. Whatever happens, happens. I think the fact that, man, there's, like, only, like, a few teams left on this thing. If we get past this round, you're almost there. Why not go with it? I mean, we're talking about this morning, like Matisha's point was, which I agree to, is you can make up the league points. It's really early in the season still, technically, whereas this, you win two more wins or whatever, and you're there. Yeah, and I think this is the problem with when we talk about rotating the front three. I think when you get past the four attacking options, the drop-off is so steep that you can't rotate essentially – when you get this far into these cup like comps because the drop off is dope, which is like, that's, I, I love that kid, but like, that's just, it's such a far drop from like, you know, from the rest of those guys up top. So um, 
as much as I'd love to see some kids get some action here, I don't think it makes sense. I think that they're probably going to play with seniors uh, throughout. And uh, yeah, a Harvey's one that could rotate in here. But then also when you're looking at that midfield rotation, Harvey's one I'd want there. So like, right. I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer there is. I mean. And we are running out of midfielders in some ways. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean we're, we're pretty sad. Gravenberg is going to be out. You don't have a lot of options in midfield. I mean, do you have to start Endo? Uh, I mean, that's like the weird thing. Do you risk something like that and then hurt Saturday even more? It's going to be mean, about start Jones if only If only Tiago was able to play football. He's practicing people. He's over oh, there. Oh, no way. Taking pictures, showing <laughs> taking up at pictures. training sessions, all kinds of stuff. He's actually sure showing up at, at the training table asking for when the next time he'll be on it for a picture of his latest injury. <laughs> he's definitely the dude over there with like a yo-yo. You know what I mean? He's that guy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how much stock. I agree with Cersei. I feel like West Ham will go all in. And to them, they can sacrifice a game on the weekend. I don't know who they're playing. I didn't look at their schedule. But I think they can afford to say, you know what, we'll sacrifice the Premier League game on the weekend and go strong in the Cup. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how strong we go at it knowing the Arsenal game looms on Saturday. But on our way out, as always, let's get some predictions for the Cup game. What do you have, Bickler? I'll go three, two. I think it's going to be, uh, for some reason, I just see this one as being kind of a wild ride. What was the final prediction? I'm sorry. Three, two, three, two. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. That sounds like a league cup score right there. I'll go, two, <laughs> one. I'll go, I'll, I'll go two, one home team. And I will say West Ham doesn't have it that tough. They just host this little club called Manchester United on Saturday morning. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, 34 shots. That's all you. <laughs> that's all they gotta do. Just like make sure your legs are strong to take those shots. The difference is Jared Bowen would put one in the fucking net. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um. Yeah. I. I like the three-two, man. You know what? No, I would normally go with the Timuchin special, but let's go with that one. I do like the three-two. I do want to keep. I mean, I feel like because you know we're talking about you know how we're building almost like, you know, the Liverpool 2.0 or whatever. So it is, I think, important to get some silverware. And, you know, it's a good building step to get any silverware, regardless of, like, whether there's Mickey Mouse Cup or whatever it is. But Alan says 2-1 for our lads. Yeah, I mean, winning, I think, would go a long way in, like, securing this thing. It would make you really close. Well, boys, obviously, the holidays are going to coming up. Bickler... Obviously, based on the stories you told us so far, what do you have plans for next weekend? Because we're not. So gonna I'm just gonna crawl through the week and hope that I survive and that everybody's alive. Um, I think this uh, this weekend I haven't finalized plans, but I'm planning on flying down to spend Christmas with my dad for the first time in a long time. So that'll be a good time. So people in the Florida area should be on alert. South Florida, get them Gators ready. <laughs> I do. I do feel like I do feel like we should have one of those little track the Bickler things, like when we sent them to Montana, and we were like, "We're just doing a public service announcement to the people of Montana. Bickler is in the region." Like, like an Amber Alert, or just a Bickler Alert. <laughs> 
your phone goes off and all kinds of random ass shit happens. And then Different within 200 miles later, people can't hear you. I will say, I thought it was interesting. Um, we, we go to uh, Rochester, New York, like I mentioned a little earlier. So we'll go up and visit Kelly's parents. This is going to be the first Monday. I'm assuming we're not going to be doing a podcast on Christmas night. So this will be the first Monday we haven't done a podcast in like two and a half years. That's crazy. Really? Yeah. We did one on 4th of July. Because who cares about that holiday? But like we did all kinds of like we've done them on. Like, I, I feel like I feel like the odds are that Alan is writing a Yelp review right now, and he's not. <laughs> I was just gonna say there's someone getting angry in Houston right now. Like what? There's no podcast yeah. on Christmas? What? Oh, I didn't um, even realize that. Yes, we'll be gone it, all the way till the new year. Well, I mean, I would assume we're gonna do one on New Year's Day because it's kind of a shitty day anyways, and our hangover should be over by 8 p.m. Ooh. I yeah, I wouldn't wait. Bickler is in the house, so I don't know if I'm gonna put that wager on. <laughs> oh man, uh, Alice says, "Who me?" Yeah, that's interesting. I did not even think of that. I'll be actually in Vegas uh, New Year's Day, so that should be. Interesting. And you guys are putting the tracker on me. <laughs> well, I'm mean, hey, put the tracker on you to warn the others. We should put the tracker <laughs> okay, on right. Mutin and Ange. Because they go to a lot of fun places very often, and I'm not sure how they pull that off. You don't want to know. You don't want. To. <laughs> you don't want to know, and I don't want to announce. Yeah, yeah, it's our annual after the Christmas craziness. Because obviously, with the online business and stuff like that, these couple of weeks are really rough. So we use the first week of January usually to unload this current stress going on right now and these games are not helping people now like christmas we're gonna watch the arsenal game this saturday and stuff like that it just does not help the holiday spirit maybe it'll give something to forget at least if the result is bad or something like that but it's uh, adds additional stress to the holiday season these matchups <laughs> i actually am gonna get up at like five in the morning on that saturday because that's the day we have to travel up to rochester new york so I'm going to get up at like 5.30 or 6 so I can drive up there with all the presents and just go straight to a bar so I can watch the Arsenal game with like real Liverpool supporters. And then my, Kelly's going to bring the dog and then I'm going to randomly meet up at her parents' house after. And they're going to think I rolled in like just then because I had like stuff to do at home. But I've already been in the area for like two hours in a bar watching a game, which is one of two ways, right? It's going to go one of two ways. They're going to figure it out and be like, so how was that Liverpool bar you went to in Rochester? Or they're going to think their son-in-law gets hammered for five and a half hour car rides. <laughs> One or the other. And actually, I'm hoping, actually, if you're listening, send me a message. I'm going to send you one. Because if Sparky Parky is out watching that Arsenal game in the Western New York area, I will buy the first round. Uh, and we can argue about how Curtis Jones should be starting and is starting um, and he'll tell me I'm a moron and that he's no good. Don't do it. He's going to talk to you about Jordan Henderson passing it sideways. <laughs> but well, I do love the fact that you're starting the holidays with some dishonesty. I love you're a freaking dog thank God and let a parrot to throw you under the bus. Is like, this guy just came. Just like he's and then, <laughs> then I'm going to get up on Boxing Day and get out of town at like 5.36 in the morning so I can get back here by 12.30 to watch him play Burnley. So as he says, am I the only one who schedules my life around Liverpool games? I'll be honest, I do. Clearly not. And more Why am I in 
the wifey does. Uh, like, so the rest of the family knows if there's something on the weekend, they check the soccer schedule to make sure it's kind of revolves around it. And for the most part, it's we, we more really fun. are fucking losers, fucking losers. <laughs> we really are. I love you too. Merry Christmas. But man, we are talking about how we schedule our lives around a football game. I do love it, but man, yikes. Yeah, I know, right? Well, uh, happy holidays to you losers as well. <laughs> and all the losers listening to us. I uh, hope everybody has a great holiday season. Uh, we'll see you guys. Uh, I'll do a dad joke. We'll see you guys next year. Uh, so... <laughs> and that's the great way to end it. Have an awesome holiday season, everybody, and a great week. Take care.